Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Norma Jean Discovering Truths. I'm one of the producers, Randall Libero, and I'd like to introduce my collaborators. I'm Gary Vitaco-Robles. Hey, Randall. And I'm Nina Bosky. Hi, guys. So this is the show for episode five, My Life Was Kind of Grim. Part program. two. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, because we started with uh, episode four. So the first three shows were just kind of jumping around in Marilyn's life in terms of time periods. But with the last episode and this episode, we are beginning a linear story. And this episode begins with Marilyn's birth on June 1st, 1926. Welcome, Norma Jean. Yes. She's a beautiful baby girl. And our first scene is in the Los Angeles County Hospital. So Gary, why don't you give us a little frame for this moment? Well, Marilyn, um, as Norma Jean, is born to Gladys Baker, who was unmarried at the time. And so a woman during this era, having a child out of wedlock, was considered scandalous and unfortunately was also considered somewhat shameful. And words were used for children who were born out of wedlock, ugly words such as illegitimate, which creates a narrative for a child that is extremely negative, that word illegitimate. And so a child would be brought up with that understanding and it would, it would impact them in a very wow. serious way. So Gary and Randall, you know, we chose to portray Gladys leading up to Norma Jean's birth, not really wanting Norma Jean. And so there's obviously some reasons why we did that, evidence of why we did that, but we also had to make a creative choice. So guys, why did we choose to portray Gladys leading up to this birth of not wanting Norma Jean? Well, Randall and I had conversations about how we should depict this, not knowing exactly what was going on. And the main sources that we used, one was uh, Marilyn's interview with Georges Belmont for Marie Claire magazine in 1960. In that interview, she speaks in great detail about her childhood. We also use Richard Merriman's interview for Life in 62. And we turn to my story, Marilyn's autobiography, written with a ghostwriter, Ben Heck. It was posthumously published, but it was serialized when Marilyn was alive. And she does talk about in her autobiography, being unwanted. And so we went with her feeling, you know, using her voice when possible. What might've been going on in, in the mind of a woman abandoned by her lover and having a child without his support. And the interesting thing is that, you know, seeing when she's being born, her best friend, Grace, is so excited to have this beautiful baby, and yet Gladys is kind of in, in this kind of place. That almost, it feels a little surreal. That's what I'm getting from Gladys. What we know about Gladys following the birth is that she experienced a postpartum depression. So that's another factor that we added in, didn't we, Randall? Yeah, and, and one more layer on top of that, because I think... Gladys realized that something was happening to her and she wasn't exactly sure. Uh, and this is really kind of implied but unspoken in the episode. As a character, sometimes you don't say things outright. But her holding the baby with her eyes closed, in her mind, she's kind of thinking about how am I going to take care of this baby? Is something going to happen to me? Am I going to hurt the baby? So are you thinking, Randall, that she was having inklings of this mental illness starting to take shape, but she didn't know what it was? Yeah, that's kind of, that was my Certainly. position on it. 
Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And the, the lack of a bonding and attachment that was going, every moment matters in early childhood. The bond begins immediately after birth. And we do have accounts that she didn't look at the baby and she didn't want to hold the baby. And that began to impact the attachment between mother and child that remain for the rest of their lives. Well, and you hear this, uh, especially in, in other episodes where she's questioning who her mama is, right? Who's my mama, right? Are you mm -hmm. my mama? Are you my daddy, right? So right. that's a very right. clear picture that somebody isn't as attached. And uh, I would say, thank God that we had some enthusiasm with Grace because you know those early few weeks to months to years are so impactful, right? Definitely, and what yeah. we know about infant mental health and the developmental needs and emotional needs and well-being of children early on. And we didn't have a lot of protective factors. We had Gladys experiencing the beginnings of her mental illness. We had grandmother Della, who was trying to be some support, but we learned in this episode that she soon had a psychotic break wow. and even yeah. attempted to smother the baby while she was psychotic. Let's talk about that because that's, that's a huge aspect to this story because I think people forget about the legacy. You know, we're born in with our DNA, our, our genes, and then there's environmental issues. And, and certainly with Marilyn's family history, they have a legacy of mental illness. And so many children today, same thing is happening where they don't come in with a solid foundation. And we know about this today. We talk about adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. There are a lot of studies that came out of the late 90s about toxic stress for children and the tremendous impact that these adverse childhood experiences have on, on their future, their health, their mental health, their risk for substance abuse, and many other you know, myriads of issues. Marilyn, as a child, had multiple adverse childhood experiences, not one or two, although one or two can be significant. As you begin to rack up four of these, you know, they're a huge impact on the life. So we're talking physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, domestic violence, household substance abuse, mental illness in the family, separation from parents, so all I of think, these things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the reality is, is that Marilyn certainly didn't come in with a great foundation. And the challenge is, is that even with Della trying to help bringing in the Bolanders, that's a huge issue unto itself because on one hand you think she's safe, but take it away. Randall and Gary, you guys have definitely uh, put these characters to life. It's very different than when you're just reading about a person versus experiencing them in the acting space, right? Where these, these mm -hmm. characters actually come to life. Well, there is a YouTube video of an interview with the Bolanders, of course, much later in life, talking about the early years of Norma Jean and their time uh, with her. It was difficult and kind of a very delicate time in Marilyn's life to reconstruct that in a way that makes sense for people because mm -hmm. we're covering in an episode seven years of, of her life. One episode. Yeah, in one yeah. episode. And it's like... Well, maybe what two. are we going to put in? You know, you only got a half hour of time here. So we wanted to introduce the Bolanders. We wanted to talk about Della. Uh, we wanted to talk about a number of things that really were impactful on Marilyn later in life. One of them being her first pet, which was a dog named Tippy. Tippy. Uh, yeah. 
So we chose a number of things that we thought these are the most impactful moments out of that seven years. And let uh, me just say this too, Randall and Gary with, you know, Randall just mentioned Tippy and Gary, right before we were coming on to do this podcast, all of a sudden you threw in this, oh, by the way, and why don't you take it from here? Because that was a really interesting tidbit about Tippy. <laughs> Trivia about, about Tippy. Now on our website, we have photographs of little Norma Jean holding Tippy in black and white photographs, um, this little spotted canine with a bow around his neck. <laughs> but if, if you remember the outtakes of Marilyn's last uncompleted film, Something's Got to Give, she plays a woman who uh, was deserted on a desert isle in, in a boating accident. She comes back to reunite with her family and her children are grown now. There were babies when she left and they don't recognize her, but the family pet a Cocker Spaniel greets her by the pool when she uh, comes back home. In these outtakes, you can see this Cocker Spaniel named Jeff being directed by his trainer and Marilyn reacting to the dog. And she keeps calling the dog Tippy. So I, I think it's more than just coincidence. I, I, I would imagine that Marilyn had some influence on the writers and asked for this dog to be named Tippy. And maybe that was part of her method acting she could really get into that role if she imagined that and dog you know, as tippy and we have to bring up our norma jean our little norma jean because it's played by a wonderful little yes. actress juliana alden and mm -hmm. she just came in and just owned the role right yeah, yeah. yeah. and you'll be, we'll be hearing more from juliana in subsequent episodes but in this episode it's just that moment of the loss of tippy and her reaction and then of course when gladys comes to visit at the end the aftermath of losing the dog is still a psychological scar days later on little Norma Jean and she's still very upset over it and she's not and saying much of anything. So. I have to just say this too guys this just was broke my heart because not only is her mom gone she doesn't know her father she's with the Bolanders right they're harsh beyond harsh they're uh, I don't uh, physically, abusive. Yeah, yeah. physically yeah. abusive yeah. and she loses her little tippy. I remember when I was a little girl and I couldn't keep my cat anymore and I was like four or five years old. I And I had my mom and I had a lot of love. I think, Boy. wow, how, you know. Overwhelming. How, yeah. Completely yeah. overwhelming. I, mean, just, I have such a appreciation now, even though I knew her story, hearing it in this way, it, it allows you to experience it. And it, it just breaks my heart because- you know, as a little kid, she didn't really have anywhere to go. And this was this was the only home she knew. These were not her parents, and she wanted to call them mom and dad, but she was reminded that that the lady who comes to visit on Saturdays with the red hair is your mom. But to this little child, Albert Wayne and Ida were her parents. And so when her mother, Gladys, is able to care for her at some point, and begins to have weekend visits with her. Uh, little Norma Jean is being kind of ripped away from the only home she's ever known to live with this kind of stranger lady who visits. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she was spending her time hiding in the closet. This is what Marilyn wrote about and playing with her mom's shoes. And her mom, because of the mental illness, really didn't know how to connect with her. I think we say in the episode that turning of pages were kind of an annoyance to her. So it was very difficult for her to leave this place. Um, she probably loved these people. They were physically abusive, and Marilyn wrote about that, that they were harsh. I used a leather strap. She never used their names, however. 
She just wow. referred to them as the couple who took care of me. But it's interesting, and we'll learn in later episodes when uh, Ida attempted to visit Norma Jean later, those around Norma Jean noticed that she would become very sad and withdrawn after contact and isn't Ida. that such a clear sign? So for anybody that's listening to these episodes and you can see a little girl or a little boy that may be retreating, let's take a little bit more of a curiosity to look under the hood of the why. Are they being just shy or is there something more going on? Because that to me is a very clear sign that there's something more going on, right? Very much so. And I, and I think it's important that our audience has access to the National Child Abuse Hotline. And we're going to give that away at the very end too. So let's make sure we give those those numbers because it's, it's important. You know, I want to bring up Jasper Baker. So Randall, I know you had a good time uh, writing these characters too with Gary. So let's talk a little bit about who was Jasper Baker? Well, Jasper Baker was Gladys's uh, husband that she was married to. And we covered that story in episode three. So yep. if you haven't heard that episode yet where Marilyn talks about her family's past history, go and check that out because it'll make more sense to you if you just jumped in at, at this point somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> An important part of the story with Jasper because in that episode, we learned that Gladys has two children already. Yep. And uh, Norma Jean is her third child. So uh, this also being a mother for the third time with this baby, not having a husband and thinking about her other two children, you know, as a mother, you think, boy, this child is going to grow up without knowing her brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that pulls on a mother's heart as well, because she doesn't want to have any kind of anything to do with Jasper anymore. She's probably thinking about that as well. So all of that is compounding her kind of confusion and the complexities of now this baby is in the world and what's going to happen to it. She can't take care of it. And what about the rest of the baby's family? Well, uh, all yeah. those things together are all pulling on Gladys's heart. Hey, I've got a question for you, Gary. You know, we talked about Bernice still being alive. Has Bernice ever shared with anybody uh, pictures, childhood pictures from when she was growing up with Jackie and Jasper? Do is Are any of those photos floating out there somewhere? She did publish a memoir in 1994. She has lots of photographs of Gladys Young. She, mm -hmm. uh, I believe she has a, a photograph of Jasper but I'm not remembering many early childhood photos. Although we post on the website, Della and yep. Gladys with little Jackie, the firstborn. Yeah. Um, I wow. think there's also a picture of, of little Bernice. So we That's wish so Bernice sweet. well. She's uh, this summer, um, she'll be 101 years old. One, 101. Yeah. It's really interesting to think that here on 134th Street in Hawthorne is where all of this is actually taking place. Really? You just have to imagine that it wasn't the subdivision it is now with houses right next to each other. Houses were interspersed on farmland, like uh, several acres. The, the streets it was Road were Street, dirt. Right? Road Avenue. It was Rhode it? Island, Rhode Island Avenue. Oh. And Della's bungalow is still directly across the street. It looks a little bit different now than in some well, vintage photographs we slightly, have. Slightly, and the cost is about like a, well over a million dollars, which I just didn't there think about it, right? You know, think about, uh, you know, years later, a century later, look at, you know, how much it, it has uh, increased the in value, terms of value, sure. right? 
I wanted to mention something about the Bolanders because of their their background. They were members of the Hawthorne Community Church, and which was kind of Christian fundamentalist type of community. One of the things that I felt it was important for us to convey in this is that even though the, the Bolanders were a wonderful couple, they were decent people. They really um, loved her. I believe yeah, they and they really loved, loved her. her. They looked at people who did certain things as, as sinners. And they preached, as we say in the episode, the narrator says, they preached heaven and hell, sin and salvation, fire and brimstone. They condemned secular music and movies and all of that. This kind of constriction, emotionally constricted childhood in this form, had an impact on Marilyn as an adult. And matter of fact, in some of her journals, she talks about the psychological struggle where she's still obeying, you know, these Ida. Ida as a parent and still dealing with the leftover emotional trauma and scars from that early childhood. A lot of uh, guilt, tremendous guilt in her writing. Now, she's writing about this at about 30 years old in the mid 50s living in New York. And she's still working through these issues from her childhood. Yeah, because, you know, even, you know, people always talk about how difficult she was to work with and directors and being perceived as having problems with temperament and character. You know, we can start to see the tie-in with that, right? I mean, it's just really interesting too, because there's reasons why people act the way they act. They don't just wake up one day and decide to be difficult. There's reasons why they, they have that behavior happening in their life. And I think it's important to underscore that all the trauma and the abuse that's going on this is going on in a little girl's developing brain. So this brain is being wired in a different way. And so when a child is experiencing trauma, the limbic system is activated and you know cortisol, the stress hormone is rushing through their brain. And so now the brain is structuring itself and in a different way that's going to impact that child later on. So I, I think yeah. that's where other depictions of Marilyn's so, life don't take that into effect, that it's not a character flaw or temperament. It's the impact of these of that adverse trauma. childhood experiences. Yeah. And I think also one of the things that we want to do with these episodes is give people hope. You know, Marilyn back in 1962, there wasn't the kind of treatment that there is today. But if you're experiencing this type of trauma or have and, and or you have a loved one, I think one, we have to have compassion. And also you hear this a lot with mental illness. It's no different if somebody had cancer or diabetes or yes. had some kind of liver issue. I mean, these are things that need to be addressed and let's try to take the stigma away from mental illness because it's just like anything else that needs to be addressed and, and dealt with. Effectively. Resilience, it's not a trait that people either have or they don't have. It involves behaviors and thoughts and actions that could be learned and developed. So anyone can develop resilience and uh, look for protective factors that could mitigate these things. Even though horrible things might be going on in a household, the neighborhood itself might be safe or that child might have access to healthy people or positive relationships. You know, they say if a child could have one healthy relationship, that one person could make such a tremendous difference and mitigate some of the impact of the other negative things that are going on that might Definitely. seem very pervasive. Yeah. And this aspect of Marilyn's personality for me as, as a writer is the most compelling part because she was always actively working toward finding that resiliency for herself, actively pursuing it, figuring out how to achieve it. We show in these episodes what she was seeking to transcend 
in her life, seeking to find that resiliency and educating herself and, exactly. and work, working so hard, working longer hours than any of the other actors. I remember Jane Russell talking about mm. when they were doing Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and nine o'clock and 10 o'clock at night when they had an early call the next day, Marilyn was still rehearsing the dance steps, things like that. It's just, you know, And most just, people don't realize what a hard worker she really was. And I think that's the misunderstanding sometimes people have of Marilyn. And in this case, we're talking about little Norma Jean. So guys, as we end this episode of Norma Jean Discovering Truths, is there anything else you'd like to add before we give out the numbers? Uh, well, when we think about Marilyn and her resilience, it's interesting that now she's providing inspiration to other people. Folks might be drawn to her because they feel wounded and they can relate to her in some way. And they look at her as an example of someone who had overcome adversity and made it and achieved greatness. And if she could have done that, despite all that was going on in her life, that really gives the rest of us hope that no matter what we might be going through with hard work and determination, we could make it, we could be resilient. And that's really it. a wonderful <laughs> legacy that, that she leaves behind. Yeah. I love it. All right. So let's uh, direct everybody to the CDC and the National Institute on Mental Health. Do you have the website, Gary? Well, yeah, you can go directly to CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and National Institute on Mental Health. And there is an abundance of resources on those websites. And the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline in the United States is one 800 422 4453. You can call or text. And to make it easier, that number translates to 1-800-4, the number four, a child. All right. So remember to check us out on BehindTheIcon.com. You can sign up for our newsletter and you can check out all those wonderful photos we've been talking about on our website. Make sure that you subscribe to these podcasts if you definitely like what you're hearing and make sure you give us a good rating. Until next time, hold a good thought for Marilyn, but hold a good thought for yourself. Take me back in your heart. How can I go on living now that we're apart? And if you knew what